1: the alarms in hell went off big time when jesus was born if you read the complete record the christmas story when king herod heard from the magi who had come from a great distance because they've been studying the stars and god wrote in the stars the truth about this coming messiah this king jesus and when they come and ask herod and herod Herod, he hears about it and he acts deceitfully like he really wants to go and worship this this king.
0: In today's message, Pastor Danny will remind you that the birth of the Messiah was prophesied long before it actually took place. Many Old Testament prophets were given insight by God the Father that one would come by miraculous circumstances. Many prophets also wrote that not only would he be born of the Holy Spirit, but that he would perform great miracles. Even his greatest miracle was written about before it happened, the resurrection. Jesus would die and be raised victorious over death. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Daniel chapter 11 as he begins his message, The Prophetic Future and God's Will for Your Life. To every nation,
1: Go to the Old Testament book of Daniel. We're in Daniel chapter 11. Daniel is in Babylon. It's called the Babylonian captivity. God prophesied that the captivity would last for 70 years. It's because of Israel's sin, their unfaithfulness to the Lord. Daniel just happens to be reading... uh, in his devotional life, uh, the prophet Jeremiah. And he realizes from Jeremiah that the Babylonian captivity would last for 70 years. That's what God prophesied through Jeremiah. Most scholars agree that the time that Daniel read that, he had already been in Babylon some 67 years. So when he read that, he realized it's almost over. He's getting excited because he's thinking the kingdom is going to be restored and uh, Messiah is going to come and we're going to move into a time that we would refer to as heaven. But God, in continuing to give him vision of the future, he has a vision of a great war. He doesn't realize it's not just one war. It's lots of wars. He doesn't understand. He wants to understand, so he begins to pray. He fasts and he prays. God sends an answer An angel is dispatched to answer Daniel's prayer for understanding. But last week, Daniel chapter 10, that angel is detained by the prince of Persia. This is a fallen angel. This is a demon, if you will. And it gives us the reality of the spiritual warfare. The apostle Paul wrote in New Testament that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against these powers, these forces in the heavenly realms. A real battle going on. If you could see it right now in the heavenly realms, it would scare the daylights out of you. In this battle, the answer to Daniel's prayer is delayed for three weeks. And it tells us that Michael, Michael, one of God's good angels, has to come and get this answer angel to Daniel's prayer through. And so he comes, Michael is referred to in Daniel chapter 12, verse 1, as the prince of Israel. His main responsibility is watching over and fighting on behalf of the nation and the people of Israel. He's got a full time job. Michael shows up, angel gets through, comes to Daniel. I've come in answer to your prayer to give him understanding about this vision of war. Daniel chapter 11 is a continuation of that understanding about the future. It is one chapter that if you have read it, on the surface, it doesn't do you a whole lot of good. As a matter of fact, you could read it and be tempted to just skip over it. You'll see what I mean. And I'm going to encourage you, do your best as I read This chapter, at least the majority of it, do your best (laughs) to stay awake. I mean it. I mean it. It'll take some self-discipline. You'll see what I mean. Daniel chapter 11, verse 3. Now then I tell you the truth. Three more kings will appear in Persia, and then a fourth will be far richer than all the others. When he's gained power by his wealth, he'll stir up everyone against the kingdom of Greece. Then a mighty king will appear who will rule with great power and do as he pleases. After he's appeared, his empire will be broken up and parceled out toward the four winds of heaven. It will not go to his descendants, nor will they have the power he exercised, because his empire will be uprooted and given to others. The king of the south will become strong, but one of his commanders will become even stronger than he and will rule his own kingdom with great power. After some years, they will become allies. The daughter of the king of the south will go to the king of the north to make an alliance, but she will not retain her power, and he and his power uh, will not last. In those days, she'll be handed over together with her royal escort and her father and the one who supported her. Still awake, right? Uh, One from her family line will arise to take her place. He'll attack the forces of the king of the north, enter his fortress. He'll fight against them and be victorious. He'll also seize the god, their gods, their metal images, and their valuable articles of silver and gold and carry them off to Egypt. For some years, he'll leave the king of the north alone. And then the king of the north, he'll invade the realm of the king of the south, but will retreat to his own country. His sons will prepare for war and assemble a great army, which will sweep on like an irresistible flood and carry the battle as far as his fortress. I can tell now you're starting to get into it. (laughs) Verse 11, then the king of the south will march out in a rage and fight against the king of the north who will raise a large army, but it will be defeated. So a large army loses. When the army is carried off, the king of the south will be filled with pride and will slaughter many thousands, yet he will not remain triumphant. But the king of the north will muster another army larger than the first. And after several years, he'll advance with a huge army fully equipped. In those times, many will rise against the king of the south. The violent men among your own people, that would be Jewish people, will rebel in fulfillment of the vision, but without success. Then the king of the north will come, build up siege ramps, will capture a fortified city. The forces of the south will be powerless to resist. Even their best troops will not have the strength to stand. The invader will do as he pleases. No one will be able to stand against him. He'll establish himself in the beautiful land. That's the land of Israel. And will have the power to destroy it. He'll determine to come with the might of his entire kingdom and will make an alliance with the king of the south. And he will give him a daughter, a daughter in marriage, in order to overthrow the kingdom. So it's a deceitful ploy. It's a plan. But his plans will not succeed or help him. Then he'll turn his attention to the coastlands. Will take many of them, but a commander will put an end to his insolence and will turn his insolence back on him. After this, he'll turn back toward the fortresses of his own country, but will stumble and fall to be seen no more. I just look because every service at this point, a handful are yawning. Verse 20, his successor will send out a tax collector to maintain the royal splendor. Why? Because they're broke. They spent everything they had on war. In a few years, however, he'll be destroyed, yet not in anger or in battle. He'll be succeeded by a contemptible person who has not been given the honor of royalty. He's not of royal blood. He'll invade the kingdom when its people feel secure. He will seize it through intrigue. Then an overwhelming army will be swept away before him, both it and a prince of the covenant will be destroyed. After coming to an agreement with him, he will act deceitfully. And with only a few people, he will rise to power. When the richest provinces feel secure, he will invade them, will achieve what neither his fathers nor his forefathers did. He will distribute plunder, loot, and wealth among his followers. He'll buy their allegiance. He will plot the overthrow of fortresses, but only for a time. With a large army, he will stir up his strength and courage against the king of the south. The king of the south will wage war with a large and very powerful army, but will not be able to stand because of the plots devised against him. Those who eat from the king's provisions will try to destroy him. Some of his own turn against him. His army will be swept away and many will fall in battle. The two kings, with their hearts bent on evil, will sit at the same table and lie to each other. It's a normal political meeting. But to no avail, because an end will still come at the appointed time. We don't have much further. Please, Verse 28, the king of the north will return to his own country with great wealth, but his heart will be set against the holy covenant, Israel. He will take action against it and then return to his own country. At the appointed time, he will invade the south again, but this time the outcome will be different from what it was before. Ships of the western coastlands will oppose him. He will lose heart. Then he will turn back and vent his fury against the holy covenant, Israel. He will return and show favor to those who forsake the Holy Covenant, Jews who become apostate and side with the enemy. His armed forces will rise up to desecrate the temple fortress and will abolish the daily sacrifice. Then they will set up the abomination that causes desolation. With flattery, he will corrupt those who have violated the covenant. But the people who know their God, those who are the real deal, will firmly resist him. Now, look, be honest. There's no need for shame. No need for shame. How many of you have no idea uh, what God is talking about in this section of Scripture that I just read? How many have no idea? No idea. Okay, put your hands down. Very similar. Now, how many of you know something of what God's talking about, but things are still not totally clear? totally clear. You know something of what God's talking about, but it's not completely clear. Okay, understood. Here's where we start, all right? Look, spiritual forces are at work in the universe, vying for the control of the world and the people of the world. You say, I thought you were going to give us a Christmas message. Well, this kind of is a Christmas message. You say, how in the world do you get a Christmas message out of this? This is the most detailed prophetic chapter in all the Bible. When you deal with prophecy. Now, this is not a scripture that deals with the birth of Jesus, but since it is the Christmas season, hey, in the prophecies about the birth of Jesus, did you know that the alarms in hell went off big time when Jesus was born? If you read the complete record, the Christmas story, when King Herod heard from the Magi who had come from a great distance because they'd been studying the stars and God wrote in the stars the truth about this coming Messiah, this king, Jesus. And when they come and ask Herod, and Herod, Herod, he hears about it and he acts deceitfully like he really wants to go and worship this, this king. Yeah, right. Soon as the Magi go away, what does Herod do? He plots to annihilate this child. And lots of families went through untold grief and mourning. A prophecy by Jeremiah comes true as Herod gives the command that all babies two years old and under, from the first time he heard about this king being born, they are to be slaughtered. And they were. They were slaughtered. And the prophecy of Jeremiah rang true. That's the other side of the Christmas story. And the evil forces behind Herod and his plot, listen, that was hell inciting him. Spiritual forces are at work in the universe, vying for the control not only of the world, but the people of the world. Listen, Satan wants you. He wants me. Fascinating chapter. And if you were a student, you'd want to get one of these. Pastor Jerry Falwell back in the day, because I was under his ministry for years, he started Liberty University, which I'm a graduate, uh, which is an amazing miracle in itself. (laughs) Uh, But he said, if I was stranded on a desert island, one of the books I'd want is Hallie's uh, Bible Handbook. Because this guy gives us understanding of books of the Bible without having to read your head off. Uh, Let me give you what he says about uh, Daniel chapter 11. Listen to this. Chapter 11, Daniel, is the pre-written history of the period between the Testaments, Old Testament, New Testament. And then he says, here's an outline of events to the verses in which they were predicted, and he gives you detail. The three kings of Persia, verse 2, the one that became the richest and more powerful, it was Xerxes. He's another character in the Bible. Verses 3 and 4, Alexander the Great died young. Kingdom divided between its four generals. Verse 5, king of the south, Ptolemy I, Soter of Egypt. This is historical record, not just in the Bible. The record of history tells us this. It goes into detail. Verse 6, the Bernice is the daughter of Ptolemy II. She was given in marriage to Antiochus II, but she was murdered. Verse 7. Ptolemy III, a brother of Bernice, invaded Syria, the northern kingdom, in retaliation and won a great victory. Look, I know you stayed awake through the verses, so I'm not going to give you all the gory detail of Scripture, but it's there. And if you want the detail of what we just read in Daniel chapter 11, you can find it in books like Halley's Bible Handbook. He says here, after he gives a brief summary, for a general overview Uh, You can go to pages 506 to 527, and 506 to 527 starts out like this. The 400 years between the New Testaments, between the Testaments, 400 years of time prophesied by God before they ever came to be in precise detail. These headlines here, I circled it in red, four centuries of political change. Fascinating stuff. Daniel 11 predicts with amazing precision wars covered hundreds of years of time into the future as well as detailed personal conflicts connected to those wars. And especially as they're related to and affect the people of Israel. God's chosen people. We're not going to get off on it because... You'll end up in nowhere land if you really stop and think that God can pre-write history, which he does. He calls it the book of truth. It's not the Bible. It's pre-written history. He knows what's going to happen. He knows the end from the beginning and the beginning from the end. How does he do that and yet, listen, listen, not violate anyone's free will? There are two movements in the church, one called Calvinism, the other called Arminianism, and they're based on uh, these ideas that, first of all, God is sovereign. The Calvinist says, well, God is sovereign. But the Arminius says, uh, no, man has free will. And it, the, the Calvinist emphasizes the sovereignty of God. The Arminius emphasizes the free will of man. Who, who's right? If you merge the two and go out and think about it and blow your mind, they're both true. Whosoever will, let him come and take the free gift of the water of life. Whosoever will, if you take the will out of it, then God is some unfair God that has predestined you to heaven or hell, and you have no choice in the matter. That's absolutely unbiblical. And yet, God is sovereign. God is sovereign. But God in his sovereignty doesn't violate and he gives man a free will. And somehow, somehow in the sovereignty of God and allowing man free will, God works out his purposes throughout history. It is his story. It's absolutely fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. Now catch this. While these world events unfold, God raises up believers for the work of rebuilding what the enemy has been able to destroy, communicating hope for the future, and offering their lives, sometimes literally their lives, as a sacrifice for the sake of others. It's during these years fulfilled in the prophecy of Daniel 11 that God raises up men like Ezra and Nehemiah. It's during this time that God so blesses a woman named Esther, and he gives her stunning physical beauty so that she ends up marrying a king, a king who doesn't believe in the God of Israel or serve the God of Israel, and yet this lady has been given stunning beauty, and she wins this beauty contest, becomes the wife of a powerful king, And God puts her in that position specifically so that she would be able to offer her life and by willingness to offer her life, she saves a whole nation from a holocaust, potential holocaust. Fascinating stories. Fascinating stories. I just love the Bible. (laughs) Bible. The prophecies here culminate, and I'm just going to read it one more time, back in Daniel 11, culminate in verses 31 and 32. His armed forces will rise up to desecrate the temple fortress and will abolish the daily sacrifice. Then they will set up the abomination that causes desolation. What's he talking about? The things we read about that God gives it to us, but it doesn't give us all the specifics of history. Page 564, class, Old Testament history. One of Israel's darkest periods. A ruler named Antiochus Epiphanes IV. The Jews called him Antiochus Epimenes, madman. Antiochus Epiphanes means the illustrious one. He thought of himself as a god. One of Israel's darkest periods, a systematic attempt by Antiochus was made to Hellenize the country by force. An edict demanded the fusion of all the nationalities into one people. Greek deities were to be worshipped by all. It was law. An elderly Athenian philosopher was sent to Jerusalem to supervise the enforcement of the order. He identified the God of Israel with Jupiter, ordered a bearded image of the pagan deity, perhaps in the likeness of Antiochus. Set up upon the temple altar, the Jews popularly spoke of this era as, spoke of this as the abomination of desolation. Greek soldiers and their paramours performed licentious heathen rites in the very temple courts. Swine were sacrificed on the altar. The drunken orgy associated with the worship of Bacchus, this idolatrous god, was made compulsory. Conversely, Jews were forbidden under the penalty of death to practice circumcision, Sabbath observance, or the observance of the feast of the Jewish year. Copies of the Hebrew scriptures were ordered destroyed. They're destroying the Bibles. And you think COVID is tough. As the prophetic calendar began to advance, here's what happened. And just like Daniel 11, I'm giving it to you in summary. Some became heroes for God. Let me give you the more detail of the culmination of Antiochus Epiphanes and his wicked, wicked rule and how it cost God's people immensely. The emissaries of Antiochus erected a pagan altar at Modin. In order to show their loyalty to the government, the Jews were asked to come forward and sacrifice at the altar. The aged priest of the village, Mattathias, was asked to come forward first to set a good example for the others. Mattathias refused to sacrifice at the pagan altar.
0: Thanks for joining us today to study the book of Daniel on the Living Word. You can check out more of Pastor Danny's teachings throughout the Bible at our website, ccfstpete.church. Just look under the Resources tab and click on Teachings. We'd also like to encourage you to subscribe to our YouTube channel to stay up to date on the latest videos. If you have any questions or would simply like to talk with us, please send us an email. Our address is info at ccfstpete.church. Again, that email address is info at ccfstpete.church. Be sure to let us know how we can be praying for you when you send us that email. In addition to that, we'd love to meet you in person. If you're ever in the St. Petersburg area, feel free to join us for our weekly church services at Calvary Chapel Fellowship. We meet on Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. We're also live streaming our services for those who are at home or live further away. We look forward to worshiping with you. You can find out more on our website. Once more, that was ccfstbete.church. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Join Pastor Danny next time for more from the book of Daniel right here on The Living Word.